0: Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? (laughs) And Glenn (laughs) Leverens. This is Morning Air.
1: (laughs) (laughs) On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Muy buenos dias. Wake up, America. It's Thursday, March 9th. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Francis of Rome. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond, wherever you may be. It's good to be with you on this Thursday in the second week of Lent here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines this hour here on this Thursday morning?
2: Yeah, really big wave of missile attacks from Russia on Ukraine overnight in the last 24 hours. 11 people dead, more than 20 injured. 81 Russian strikes against critical infrastructure across Ukraine. The majority of the country has been hit. The strikes used advanced missiles. Iranian, Ukrainian forces can't shoot down, according to Ukrainian Air Force spokesperson. The Zaporizhia power plant uh, disconnected from the power grid as the, the last connection there was severed. We've got about 10 days of diesel generator power to kind of keep things rolling at the plant to keep the uh, nuclear power uh, cool at the plant. So that uh, can be a problem here in the very near future, let alone the fact it isn't able to contribute to the uh, electric power for the country. That's Europe's largest nuclear power plant, by the way. Uh, And again, uh, at least 11 dead, probably more to come, uh, with, uh, again, those Russian airstrikes uh, continuing with a variety of uh, new missiles this time that were a little different than what the Ukrainian officials had seen in the past. Have
1: you seen any reaction from the U.S. and any of the allies?
2: Not yet, although Ukraine calling for, um, in the wake of this, uh, more more defense aid, of course.
1: Well, uh, we continue to pray uh, for that uh, dire situation that's going on and the suffering that so many people uh, are experiencing there in Ukraine. We continue to pray for for peace uh, in this conflict uh, with Russia, which uh, it's it's been going on now for well over a year now. So uh, our, our prayers are with uh, the Ukrainian people. I just can't even begin to imagine what it's like to wake up to a barrage of missiles all over the country. Uh, I, I guess it's part of uh, this uh, anticipated spring offensive that uh, many were expecting from uh, from the Russians.
2: Yeah, as far as that goes, uh, the troops in the east, uh, it seems the Russians pouring the new and relatively untrained conscripts uh, into the fight uh, just by sheer numbers, uh, many getting uh, mowed down in battle. They just keep uh, sending more troops in, but uh, at the same time, uh, launching missiles across the country. And so even if the, the front lines in the east aren't going so well for Russia, they're wreaking lots of havoc with the missiles across Ukraine.
1: Well, um, we continue to pray. And uh, turning uh, to a, a much happier note, uh, you know, we've been talking about spring training uh, with Major League Baseball that is uh, well underway. Well, the World Baseball Classic is also now underway. Uh, Japan and Shohei Atani are uh, playing China, literally, as we speak. Uh, they're leading 4-1 in that game in the seventh inning. That game is being played in Tokyo. Uh, There's games going on, uh, not only in China, but also uh, Tokyo, Phoenix, uh, Miami. Uh, The U.S. uh, doesn't play until this coming Saturday. They'll be taking on Great Britain, which is not someone that you or a team that you would think of. You know, when you think of baseball, you don't really think of the British, but they are going to be playing Great Britain uh, in Phoenix uh, on Saturday. The U.S. are the defending champions of the World Baseball Classic, which I I like to think of as kind of like a baseball version of the World Cup, although way smaller it's nothing in magnitude like the world cup but it's the same idea all these teams from all these different nations and many of these teams have major league players uh playing in them
2: yeah major leagues filled with uh, folks from a variety of countries of origin uh do you see uh, baseball really exploding around the world it's not quite to the popularity of of football not american football but soccer around the world but uh, do you see baseball uh, trying to trying
1: to catch up well it's got a long way to go to catch up with soccer in terms of worldwide football is is, is the world game but uh, for, for those of us who love uh, baseball uh, it, it is it's so big in japan and korea and and now uh, countries like australia uh, the netherlands uh, countries that you wouldn't think of italy uh, mike piazza is the manager former uh, hall of famer is now the the, the former uh, you know dodger and new york met and uh, you know hall of famer is the manager manager of Team Italy, which has a number of, of Italian-American players. So uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. I, I find it fascinating to see, you know, the, uh, the, the pride of each country, you know, when, when a guy may play for the Minnesota Twins or the Cubs or the Cardinals, yet uh, they're playing for a country of their heritage, for the Dominican Republic or, or Cuba uh, or the U.S., of course.
2: I'd just love to see the Italian clubhouse spread. I think uh, the Eaton would be pretty good on the Italian team.
1: Can you imagine? Mangia, mangia, they might be saying in, in <laughs> Italy. Oh yeah, in fact, those guys they were there early. I actually saw a video of Piazza talking to the American the, uh, players of Italian origin and he took them around the Vatican and took them around the sites of Rome and they ate pasta and they got a, a taste of the culture to really appreciate where those guys come from. So that's a whole other uh, topic that we could do a whole show on that, uh, but but <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, today is also National Barbie Day, which I know uh, is uh, quite exciting for Sarah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, everyone had uh, a Barbie of some sort, some sort of doll. And, it, we, you know, we talked about her origins a little bit last hour 1959 is when it all started. This was uh, one of the first commercials that um, Barbie ever had. Barbie, you're beautiful. You make me feel. My Barbie doll is really real. Uh, make-believe was alive and well <laughs> wow. uh, in the 50, in the late 50s and going on into the 60s. But you know what? I, I bet you don't know how much that first doll actually cost. 50 any? cents. Okay. Glenn, any guesses?
2: Well, I know if it was still in the box today, it would be uh, multiple dozens of thousands of dollars.
0: Uh, well, yeah, that, was, that would be very true. It was actually only it was $3, which, I mean, there's been a little bit of a markup <laughs> since... Since that time period, but um, you know, over time they came up with new and improved um, things for Barbie. Her her wrists could move; she was bendable at the the knees and the waist, and all these fun uh, new things over time in the '70s and so on and so forth. And uh, we talked a little bit about GI Joe. I know that in uh, 1970, this commercial was released um, about GI Joe. Here is GI Joe with kung fu grip. Oh, he <laughs> could use that kung fu grip to destroy the enemies and. And uh, there's been a lot of advancements over the the years, and it's it's been really fun to see the new changes that they're making with Barbie now and the different outfits. So uh, it's not just one girl's play toy anymore; it's for everyone.
1: Well, I, I uh, used to. Probably spent about four bucks to buy a GI Joe, and back in the day, I had you know U.S. GI Joes, U.S. Uh, Army, Navy, Marines. Uh, even had a Russian, German GI Joe, a Japanese GI Joe, if I if I remember correctly. So
0: it sounds like uh, they got the uh, advertising agency he was having a field day with you, John. Yes. You were getting everybody, uh, collect yeah. them
1: all. I used to have my aunt actually sew new outfits for the GI Joes, if you can imagine. Uh, Well, my dad made
2: a footlocker that I could store my stuff in for my G.I. Joe. And you'll love this too. Toward the end of my G.I. Joe playing days, one kid was maybe done with it a little before I was and started giving his stuff away. So in in addition to just the the one G.I. Joe that I mentioned last hour had lifelike hair and beard shaved down to a mustache and long sideburns, different story. But uh, he was giving away some of his G.I. Joes. So I picked up an African-American G.I. Joe. And then I would have them play football against one another. It was O.J. Simpson against Dick Butkus. How about that,
0: John? (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Yeah, you got to be careful with those haircuts because once you start, it's pretty hard to stop (laughs) until they're bald. So you got to be really careful with uh, that lifelike haircut. Kudos
1: uh, to Barbie on this uh, National Barbie Day. She is in the spotlight. As always, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and uh, Glenn. We begin every hour here on Morning Air always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, keeping in mind that every day is a blessing, every day is a gift, and we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and of relevant radio, pray for us. Saint Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. Saint John Paul II, co patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On Thursdays, we always remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, during this Eucharistic revival that our U.S. bishops have called for, Try to visit the Blessed Sacrament sometime today if you get a chance, if you can, or make uh, an extra visit uh, this week, uh, again, uh, if you have a moment. It's a wonderful, beautiful practice, especially here uh, during the Lenten season. Of course, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, um, at Morning Air Show. And if you want to reach us directly with your thoughts or story ideas, our email is morningair at relevantradio.com. If you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, this morning, I want to talk to all the parents of teens out there. How many times have you told your teen to do something, but you're not really quite happy with the way that they did it, the way that they uh, handled whatever it was that you asked them to do. Uh, Did you step in and then do it yourself, or did you uh, criticize the way that they did it? Uh, Were you afraid that they wouldn't do it right, so you were hovering over them and walked them through every uh, step, really being a helicopter uh, parent? Uh, Sounds familiar? Well, I can tell you firsthand that I I know the feeling, being the father of a 15-year-old teenage uh, High school freshman, my son, Joseph Dominic. Joining us live from Florida with much more perspective is Catholic author, Alan Miglorato, to discuss some valuable lessons uh, from his book. Uh, Failing Forward, Leadership Lessons for Catholic Teens Today. Alan is also the author of the book, uh, The um, Manly Art of Raising a Daughter. He's been married to the same beautiful wife since 1993, has raised three beautiful daughters. Uh, Alan is also the owner of a sign and advertising company in the Orlando, Florida area. Good morning, Alan. Uh, Thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you uh, once again here on the show.
3: Hey, good morning, guys! Thanks so much for having me again, and uh, and thank you. What a great pronunciation of my last name. God bless you.
1: Oh, thank <laughs> you. I, I, you know, I, I, it's funny that you should say that because I actually find it easy to pronounce uh, Italian words and names because I speak Espanol. I speak Spanish. So when I would go to Rome, I would talk to the cabbies in Spanish. You know, you know, please, uh, the Piazza di San Pietro, and they would understand me as I would uh, m- yeah. you know, try to stumble through with my half Spanish, uh, half Italian. Italian.
3: Half the battle's the accent, so great job.
1: Thank you, thanks so much. Uh, tell us, Alan, um, and I know uh, we 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 had John uh, to talk about uh, the importance of, of raising um, you know godly uh, daughters the last time we were with you. But to, you you have this new book uh, that focuses on uh, on teens. Uh, how did you decide to write the book uh, "Failing Forward: Leadership Lessons for Catholic Teens Today"?
3: It, the book was written in a response to a problem that, that we all see in our church, which is uh, the drift that, that we see after confirmation for, for our teenagers. You know, once parents kind of approach confirmation as a uh, like a finish line, you know, this is, okay, I did my job, I got you confirmed, now now, now it's up to you, good luck. And, and, okay, there's part of that is, you know, part of that is true, like we have to make our kids leaders, but if, if we haven't tried to make them leaders up until that point it's kind of throwing them in the fire. And so I figured, how can we keep teens uh, intentionally, as as intentional disciples, actively engaged in their faith? And I thought, you know, a lot of the lessons that I learned, I'm an Eagle Scout, you know, and going through Boy Scouts, a lot of the lessons that I learned were because I was given a challenge, and I was, you know, uh, I was expected to complete this challenge, and I was also told when I failed a challenge. And I think something that we don't do today is let our teenagers know and our you know our preteens know when they've failed, and I'll give you an example. If you look at like most of the Catholic youth sports leagues, everybody's getting a trophy, and uh, or any any league, everyone's getting a trophy. Eighth place. I didn't realize that there was a number two on a trophy until I was in high school. Like that was not something that was in my house, you know, and it was it was not because you know it wasn't good enough or I didn't try. It was just you know we. That was a failure. It was a win or loss. You know, you win or you lose. And if you lose, you have to learn. And so what did you learn from that loss? But if we don't allow our teens to lose, we, we really don't give them the chance to bounce back. So how does that relate to our faith? Well, when, when teens feel like, uh, teenagers feel like, well, you know, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't meet that guideline. I can't meet that, that Catholic rule. They'll step away because it's easier to say, well, I'm winning than I've lost at something or, or I'm struggling with something uh, because if they never face it. And so the book was written in a response to help parents kind of bring their kids to Christ by making them leaders, because if, if kids can, instead of being only sheep, if we can create some shepherds, they can bring more, more teens to the church. So it's, it's easy. For, I'm, in youth, I'm in youth ministry. I do a lot of work in youth ministry, and uh, me trying to bring teenagers to the church is, a, is much more difficult than, than a teenager trying to bring a peer to church with them.
1: I'm sure there's well, a lot of parents out there uh, that uh, what you're saying is really hitting home. I want to invite uh, any of our listeners, any any parents uh, that uh, might want to share their thoughts on uh, raising teens and keeping them Catholic. We're taking your calls for Alan Migliorato, the the author of Failing Forward: Leadership Lessons for Catholic Teens uh, today at triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. If you have any stories or perspective you want to share with us, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Um, Alan, you know, when, when you mentioned, um, you know, about confirmation, uh, it reminded me, my, my wife used to be a director of religious education, and she told me once that uh, she felt like, you know, some parents thought of, of confirmation as like, a, you know, graduating from church, and that's the way that it was treated, when in reality it's just the beginning of the journey for these young people.
3: Absolutely. And if you look at the way that we used to dress, uh, you know, for for confirmation, a lot of a lot of parishes still do. They wear like the, the graduation gown and cap, you know, or or just the, just the gown and they you know kind of hand them their certificate. And of course, it, it's going to feel like that. But it's more, like, no matter what they're wearing, it, it's about it's about the journey to that point, and continuing that journey after. And so how do we do that? If they're not actively engaged, they're just being robots. And when their parents aren't there to tell them to go to church, when they get to college, they just stop going. I know a young girl whose whose parents have her on. Well, she's a young girl. Everyone's young to me, I feel like. But she's probably in her her mid-20s, and she's going to to college. Now, when she first got to college, her parents put that Life 360 app on on her phone. You know, she said, we want to make sure that you know that you're going to church and everything and that you're safe and we want to know where you're at. She says, okay, so she got to college. Her parents, very, very religious family, love the family, but they, they're very forceful with making you know, making the kids go and not, not answering any questions and don't ask any questions, just show up and do it. So this girl gets to college, and she still goes to the church, but she just sits in the parking lot, so it looks like she's going to church. And her parents think she's going to church, but she's just sitting in the parking lot. And, I, and I, she told me that. And I said, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just go in the building? You know, and she's like, well, you know how my parents are. They just kind of forced their faith on me. And I said, okay, fair enough. But now you're an adult. How about exploring it on your own without them hovering over? And she goes, I probably will. You know, it's just, I just don't feel like arguing with them right now. And so they don't want to know that their kids are failing. A lot of times when, parents, when kids fail, parents feel that it's their failure. You know, Like, oh, you forgot to do your report. You forgot to do your project. And now i got to run to Walmart at midnight to get these, this stuff for you. Well, guess what? You're going to fail. I'm not going to Walmart. You should have thought of this before. And, and, and that's parents also agreeing to overpack their kids' schedules. So this is just like, it, this is a rabbit hole. You know, it's how does, how does this happen? If so many things can happen where we overpack our kids' schedules. They're on four or five travel teams you know, for sports. They've got you know debate, chess club, and, and cheerleading, and, and dance, and theater, and, and they want to do it all. And instead of us saying, look, why don't you cut down on some of that stuff, we just try to shove everything in their lives and then try to make room for God in the end. It's got to be the other way around. We've got to make God our priority and then fit some other things around that, right, and not not compartmentalize. I mean, bring God with us into all these things. But they've got to learn how to do it on their own, because once parents are not there and telling their kids, go to church, make sure you're kneeling, say your prayers, you know, did you go to confession before you received the Eucharist? We just, we just expect our kids to do what we've taught them to do, but they're going to make bad decisions. And so they've got to start making those bad decisions while we're with them so we can acknowledge them.
1: Um, Alan, um, you know, keeping in mind, you know, you brought up uh, youth sports, you know, sports is such a great metaphor for life. You know, in sports, if you don't start. You know, learning to play a sport like baseball until you're 12 or 13 years old, it's too late. You have to learn when you're little. You have to learn from the very beginning uh, the fundamentals, and I think the same thing applies with our faith. Can you talk about the importance of of instilling these values and being a good example and teaching about the importance of Sunday Mass? Nothing is more important than Sunday Mass. I mean, no game, no tournament, no travel team, more important than Sunday Mass. If you can't get there on Sunday, you go the night before, or you figure out a way to get there. I uh, can you put that into perspective? The, the the seeds that need to be planted early on that will then produce fruit when these kids are teenagers.
3: I want to disagree on one point though. Like I, I don't think it's ever too late to start to start something new. And the the biggest way like if you have teenagers and not done this and you got a 14 year old who just isn't wanting to go wanting to go to church, humble yourself and say, listen, let's talk about this. Instead of saying you're going I mean you, you need to get your kids to church, period. But, but also and listen to, like, what they have to say. Like, why don't you want to go to church? What do you struggle with? You know, and then, and then explore your faith together. Because too often it's like, I don't care why you don't want to go, you're going. And there's a, there's a time for that, you know, but not always. Like, we have to understand and listen, and that's the biggest thing that we don't do as parents is we don't listen. We also don't live out what we expect our kids to live out. So even at a young age where it starts, where it should start, is by living the way that we expect our kids to live living that Catholic life in all aspects of our life, and that's the hardest thing for parents to do is to actually walk the walk instead of just talk the talk because kids can see right through it. They'll be like, well, you tell me not to smoke and drink, but, you know, you got a liquor cabinet and a bunch of cigarettes in the cabinet too. So, like, what does that mean for me? Why can't I do it? And it goes into our faith as well. It's like you tell me to go to confession. I don't see you going. You know, you tell me to pay attention in church, but you're on your phone. So, like, why why do I need to do it? Or I see how you are on Monday. You're a sinner on Monday and a saint on Sunday. Is that is that real? Are we just are we are we fake or are we are we real with our faith? So we've got to live out that life as parents before we expect our kids because they'll follow what we do. They're little sponges when they're when they're young. And if you want a good faith life, you need to have one your own of your own so that your kids can follow you.
1: I'm with you 100 um, uh, percent, Alan. Um, we have a caller that likes, uh, wants to chime in uh, from uh, Lombard, Illinois. Uh, Helen is joining us. Uh, Helen, you're on uh, with uh, Alan Migliorato.
3: Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. I just want to say first, uh, you have already made my point to we've got to model it. We've got to get them there and... Um, You know, when my daughter's feeling a little bit resistant as a teenage girl, you know, there are things that you can kind of win them over with. I put my arm around her and I say, hey, we'll go and look for a book afterwards, or we'll stop and get ice cream afterwards, or whatever, Uh, go out to breakfast with the family on Sunday. But God guided us with loving arms and kind of, I agree, listen to why they don't want to go, but that can get mired in a lot of conversation. I think just guiding them, putting our arms around them and saying, hey, we'll do something together after or do something you want to do after. Yeah, I I completely agree. And when I say listen to our kids, I don't mean agree with. You know, I think there's a big difference between hearing what they have to say and truly trying to understand and then just, you know, hearing them dump a bunch of stuff that's not true and going, oh, okay, I see. No, I don't see. Like in those conversations that the ones that go miry, you know, into the rabbit holes of conversations, I think that those are important to have. But so it, it really gets to the root of why our kids are struggling with their faith. And if we can get them to speak the truth with love, if we can, and if we can do that into their lives, we can truly try to understand, yes, guide them, take them to ice cream, that's great. But even as parents, St. John Vianney said, if we truly understood what the Mass was, we would all die of joy. And that, that alone should make us want to get to Mass. Receiving the Eucharist, I get choked up every time I receive the Eucharist, since I was a kid I have. You know, and but that was modeled by my parents, and so that's passed on to my kids. Just seeing my kids pray a rosary without me telling them to or asking them to is wonderful. My daughters are twenty, twenty-three, and and twenty-five, and and my oldest one is tw- or twenty-six almost. Yeah, she says the she says the rosary with her husband. Like, and I don't I don't tell them to do that. I bought them both a rosary, and I said use it. You know. Uh, or or else no i didn't say that but i wanted to but they you know they say it together and that's a beautiful thing to watch so yeah we got to we got to stay irresolute with our faith and our kids will follow
1: thanks so much helen really appreciate your perspective alan we're gonna have to bring you back because th- there's just way too much i have way many many more questions i'd love to run by you but i really appreciate your perspective this is such an important issue uh for uh, our teens
3: Anytime. I'm happy to come back. I love being on the show, and, and God bless you guys. You're doing wonderful work.
1: Thank you. And again, uh, the the book is called uh, Failing Forward, Leadership Lessons uh, for Catholic Teens Today. Uh, thanks again. Alan Miglarato, uh has been with us here uh, on Morning Air, and we're going to take a short time out. Uh, when the show returns, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will be with us to talk about confession uh, during Lent, uh, which he he calls a spiritual house cleaning and he has some fabulous tips on how to make a good confession so stay tuned stay with us there's much more to come on this thursday edition of morning air on relevant radio and the relevant radio app
0: this is morning air on relevant
1: radio and the relevant radio app,
0: relevant radio relevant radio app. say goodbye
1: And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday in the second week of Lent here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm so glad you could make us a part of your morning as uh, we continue uh, to help you journey through the 40 days of Lent uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, getting to uh, a Good Friday and eventually Easter Sunday. I always remember the old saying, uh, without Good Friday, there is no Easter Sunday. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of Life is from Luke six thirty six. Jesus the Lord says, "Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful." Saint John Paul II, in his encyclical "Divis et en Misericordia," rich in mercy, wrote, "Jesus Christ taught that man not only receives and experiences the mercy of God." But that he's also called to practice mercy towards others divine mercy is god's greatest attribute his mercy endures forever and it's like an ocean of mercy so our lord told saint faustina the greater the sinner the greater the right he has to my mercy blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and we always pray with great confidence that prayer that my good friend Drew Mariani prays every afternoon in the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. A number of you want to be part of the conversation this morning, 888-914-9149, 914 888-914-914. Nine one four nine. Now, many people use Lent, uh, or even you know, this springtime, as a great opportunity to do a spring house cleaning. Uh, this is a great way to let go of the things that you don't need, uh, or perhaps you don't want, and uh, let uh, some space uh, pop up for other things that might be important in your life. But the question is, uh, how is uh, the spiritual house cleaning from your soul going? Uh, and You have no need to hire professional cleaners. All you have to do is simply go to confession, which is something that I'm very passionate about. I try to remind our listeners on a regular basis about the importance of confession, especially here in Lent. In fact, the great doctor of the church, St. Augustine, called the confessional the medicine box because there is a divine physician there, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are injured and need healing. We go in with sins and we come out clean. Joining us live is our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, uh, with much more on confession, uh, what he calls the spiritual house cleaning. Father Kabicki is a Jesuit priest, a retreat director, and a spiritual director at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and a longtime relevant radio contributor with his daily prayer reflections as well as a uh, Contributor from the very beginning uh, to this show, to Morning Air. Good morning, Father Kabicki. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It's great to be with you, and what a blessing it was uh, to see you uh, in person here in our studios the other day, here in our Lincolnshire headquarters.
4: Yes, John, I'm glad to be with you today, and I really enjoyed having the opportunity to visit the relevant radio studios there in Lincolnshire, Illinois, and to uh, see some of my old friends that I haven't seen for a while, including yourself, uh, to be with you. So um, it was a great opportunity, and I'm glad I had that.
1: Well, Father Kabicki, we're going to talk about a a topic that, um, you know, I I, I love to talk about, uh, and that is the topic of confession. I I love your perspective. You see confession as a a spring house cleaning, and uh, we're not talking about cleaning the the, the house or the apartment, uh, but our souls. Uh, Can you share your your thoughts on on this metaphor?
4: Well, you know, um, a lot of times uh, through the winter, you know, um, things get a little stale in the house and uh, it's it's I think spring in terms of spring house cleaning our physical homes. You know, it's a matter of opening up the windows, letting in the fresh air, uh, cleaning parts of the house that maybe didn't get clean during the winter. And I think the same thing can be true for uh, our spring spiritual home, our souls, that we would open up the windows of our soul to let the Holy Spirit come through and with the fresh air and light to uh, give us uh, preparation for Easter, but also uh, a kind of fresh start to our year, to our lives. And so I, I think it's uh, great that, you know, we, we've Think about the miracle box, the healing box, the, the confessional where we can go, the reconciliation room, where we can go. And as you said, we don't have to hire someone to do the spring cleaning for us or with us. We just need to go to uh, our local church and, um, uh, or another church if we, we want to go maybe more anonymously. But wherever we go, it's an opportunity for our souls to get cleaned up uh, during this time of spring.
1: You know, and um, I, w- I was thinking this not only uh, applies, you know, as far as a-, a metaphor for inside the house, but even outside the house. Uh, Father Rocky was, was talking about uh, what he learned uh, from pulling weeds out of a garden. And in-, in many ways, you know, confession also reminds us we need to p- uh, pull those weeds of sin out of our spiritual garden out in front of the house.
4: That's a good metaphor, and I've often used that too in uh, when I give a penance after so, uh, as I celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation, is to say, okay, now we've pulled the weeds out of the garden, and you want the good stuff that is there, the flowers, the ground cover, you want that to grow. So for your penance, spend a little time thinking about, now, what are the good things you've been doing? What are the gifts God has given you? Uh, how can you... Um, you know, and ask God to make those grow so that they fill in those empty spots that have uh, been made because you pulled out the weeds.
1: You well, know, Father Kabicki, sometimes I think that maybe I I think too much and I contemplate some of this stuff uh, too much because I, I remember actually pulling weeds out of, of my art garden. We, we have this new garden with beautiful roses out in front of our place, and so last summer I was really dedicating to taking care of the garden, and I was yanking out these weeds that I pulled out, and I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of like, uh, you know, in, in Matthew 25, you know, where our Lord talks about, you know, separating, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the the... Uh, the garden, basically, you know, the, the the goats from the sheep, you know, the, the angels are going to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, separate, you know, the good from the bad. And it's just the same idea, you know, and we, we don't wait till the end of our lives or the end of the world. We, we can do it little by little, uh, you know, here it, during this period of, of Lent.
4: That's right, John. And to, you know, to continue the metaphor of uh, weeding, um, you know, we all know that it's it's good not just to take off the tops of the weeds; we have to get at the roots. And that's, oh, that's I think, so one true. of the things sure. about confession yeah that's one of the things i think about confession that is so important that we we really see it as not just simply getting rid of the symptoms of sin or or the you know the weeds that are growing above ground but to try to get at the roots you know what's what's behind the the bad choices i've made what's behind the sinful things that i have done and and to ask the lord to Um, bring healing into those parts of our lives and to take out those roots of the sin, um, I think is is a, a good way of approaching the sacrament, you know, to try to get at what is behind the sinful choices I have made.
1: Now, I know that uh, our church uh, teaches, the catechism teaches, we need to go to confession at least once a year. A lot of people put it off and say, okay, I'll go during Lent. But uh, it, it shouldn't be an obligation. It should be, you know, uh, a privilege, a joy to be able to go to confession, especially during Lent, to get our souls nice and squeaky clean and ready uh, for the Easter Triduum.
4: That's 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 so true, John. You know, I um, over the years at different times, I've had a, uh, it's called a plantar wart. So it's a wart that shows up on the bottom of your, the sole of your foot. And, you know, I could look at that and say, oh, what's the point of going to confession? I'm just going to, it it may come back. Um, and sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm a sinner. I'm going to sin again. Why should I go to confession? Well, the point is you've got these warts, you've got these sins. It's good to get rid of them right now. And uh, don't wait wait, uh, because it'll just get worse. So, uh, I think that's another way of looking at confession is, you know, the, the healing that we need to, uh, live a good life. We don't want to wait, uh, for it to get worse. We want to get rid of it right now. The things that are preventing us from living a good life and loving God and our neighbor, the way God wants us to.
1: Well, I want to bring in our listeners. Uh, If you have any thoughts on going to confession, especially here during Lent, if you've experienced the joy of uh, this sacrament, we would love to hear from you. Um, Maybe you might want to share how your parish has a a communal penance service uh, planned uh, during Lent, or or do you uh, have other ways of of, of celebrating the sacrament uh, that you uh, prefer? Either way, we'd love to hear uh, from you. Uh, We're taking your calls for our spiritual, director father james kabicki talking about confession at 888-914-9149 888-914-9149 we're going to take a short break as we continue our conversation with father kabicki stay with us there's much more to come on the other side
0: This is Morning Air, bringing the light of Christ to start your day on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
4: Sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. Sometimes
0: you win.
4: Ooh, you gotta get up up, again, get up up again.
1: We're talking about the confession as a spiritual house cleaning. Um, with our Morning Air regular contributor and our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki. If you'd like to be part of our conversation about confession, I can tell you firsthand, I just had the joy of going to confession this past uh, Sunday before Mass, and uh, it is really a joy. I can't begin to tell you how good it feels inside uh, to know that your sins are forgiven, and it's the Lord Jesus himself working through the priests who does it. Uh, If you want to share your own experiences, your own joys, uh, maybe, Maybe you've been away from confession for a long, long time. Some people have been away, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and then they come back and they discover what a joy it is. Love to hear from you. 888-914-914. Four, nine, Father Kabicki, um, there's so much to talk about when it comes to confession, but let, let's talk about it on, on the, uh, the local level. You know, so, some parishes um, have uh, many different hours available for confession. Uh, they have uh, a parish, uh, c- you know, uh, uh, communal confession services. Uh, there's many different ways to go. There's plenty of opportunities if you really want to go.
4: That's right. And, you know, Pope uh, Francis, uh, I, I believe it's going to be March 17th and 18th overnight. It's going to be 24 hours uh, where the churches in Rome will be open and people can go to confession. And maybe some of our own diocese here in the United States are doing a similar thing. I think this is the 10th year that they've, they've been doing this sort of thing. And it's, it's a great idea that, you know, um, so often people will say, well, you know, the hours, uh, that I can go to confession. I it's right before mass, and I can't get there in time. Or um, I have found uh, in the Milwaukee Archdiocese that the the churches that offer it at different times and regular times that uh, people come. And it's, it's not a matter of the priest having to wait, uh, but when people know that they can go at different times and that priests are there available to uh, celebrate that sacrament with them, um, it, it people do come. So um, I, I think, uh, you know, I'd love to hear if any of our listeners have uh, uh, preferences, if they like to go to the communal penance service or if they like... Um, you know, to to have the the more private times uh, instead of as a group, or you know, if if perhaps our our listeners um, are from a parish where the the confession is available at different times, just to tell us a little bit about that experience, um, so that we can you know, sort of share the wealth of our spiritual experience here.
1: It's always uh, really inspiring and uplifting uh, to see you know long. Uh, lines of people waiting to go in uh, to go to confession. And some, some parishes make a confession available on Sunday morning, even before Mass. Uh, so it's, it's always a, a beautiful thing. Father, can you give us just a few uh, basic uh, tips on uh, making a good confession, especially for somebody that hasn't gone in a long time? They might even be afraid to go because they don't remember their act of contrition. <laughs>
4: Right, and that's where, uh, again, um, every priest is there to... Uh, be a doctor of souls and to help you so it's it's not a matter of of being interrogated and uh of of having to remember everything uh, including you know the act of contrition that maybe we were taught growing up uh, it's as simple to to say Lord Jesus I'm sorry for my sins help me um, you know th- that's a, a very basic prayer but you know four four quick ways of I think um, uh, examining our our conscience that I think are a little different. One is, you know, the original sin had to do with fear, where our ancestral parents, Adam and Eve, were afraid that a God wasn't telling them the whole story. Could they trust God? And so they tried to get control. So we might ask ourselves, where do I have fear in my life that leads me to want to get control of my life and other people? Secondly, Um, If we look at uh, the story of Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke, here was a, a man who was hurt growing up and who then recycled the hurt. And so a second way of looking at sin is hurt people hurt people. And where have I been hurt currently or from the past and and you know, where that leads me to recycle the hurt. Uh, Thirdly, I think a big um, aspect of sin is uh, seeing other people not as persons made in the image and likeness of God, but as either enemies or as objects uh, for my pleasure. And so that kind of objectification of other people. And then fourthly, uh, St. Augustine once wrote that, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so we might examine ourselves and say, where am I restless and and have substitutes for God, you know, where I turn to possessions or pleasure or other people to make me feel satisfied, make me feel good about myself um, rather than turning to God. Uh, So those are four quick little uh ways of i think examining ourselves in a, a sort of creative way that i hope get more at the root of our sin rather you know th- than uh the simply the symptoms
1: and i think it's it's good to uh to remember that uh, the lord uh, sees our heart he sees our intentions he sees our desire i think the main thing is uh, to be truly uh, contrite to be truly sorry for whatever sins we've committed, I, I think that that might be the whole key. After we've discerned and examined uh, what we've done, to really feel sorry and, and ask the Lord, uh, the good Lord, for forgiveness.
4: That's right. And you know, sometimes people say, "Well, I'm sorry, but I I think I'm I, I just know myself. I I, I think I'm going to sin again in the future," and that doesn't mean you're not sorry at that moment. Um, and uh, you know, I I think of the story of the prodigal son, where um, he was not so much sorry for having hurt his father, he was sorry for himself. And that was okay because the father was hurting for him in his hurt. And so um, we can look at God that God uh, is not demanding a, a sort of p- perfect contrition and that we, we know we're going to be perfect in the future. But th- it's enough for us to say, I'm sorry at this moment and I don't want to do this in the future. Lord, help me. Give me the grace not to do this.
1: Um, Father, um, something we talked about um, on the show uh, a while back, uh, there's a new formula uh, for absolution uh, that went into effect uh, starting this year on Ash Wednesday. Uh, Real briefly, can you share uh, what that change is?
4: Yeah, it's just very simple. It's, it's very short. In, in, in the past, we uh, talked about how God the Father sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Now the translation will be that God the Father poured out the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. And then a second one is, um, also where, um, we, we hear, um, where it says, um, not that uh, the Lord will will give us. It says, "May God." We used to say, "May God give you pardon and peace." Now the priest will say, "May God grant you pardon and peace." So that that's the opening prayer of the absolution. But the most essential part has not changed. Uh, the necessary words of absolution remain i absolve you from your sins in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit so those are the essential part and if you know the priest uh makes a mistake forgets uh that first part continues to say um that god the father sent the holy spirit among us rather than poured out the holy spirit don't worry as long as the words i absolve you from your sins and then in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as long as that's there, your sins are forgiven. So um, it's just a little minor change that we're all supposed to, all the priests are uh, supposed to uh, use, but uh, don't be concerned if if they uh, flub up a little in that first part, because the essential part has, is still the same.
1: For sure. And, and I got to believe that uh, some priests are using a cheat sheet here in the early going till they get used to the new words.
4: Indeed they are, and I'm going to carry one with me as, as I go on parish missions.
1: Father Kibiki, I really appreciate uh, your exhortation uh, to the beauty of this sacrament of confession, especially here in Lent. I hope our, our listeners took something away and are inspired to go to confession themselves. Thanks so much for being with us.
4: You're very welcome. And may God bless us all this Lent and help us to uh, find the peace that comes from that sacrament. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Thanks so much. God bless you, uh, Father James Kabicki. Now it's time for another edition of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called
2: My Friend Frankie by Joseph brazilla When I was a boy, my first friend wasn't another little boy or girl, but a bent-worn 80-year-old man. It was the early 70s, and we lived four miles from town. My two brothers were much older than I was, and the television only got in one channel, clearly. I spent most of my time then playing alone outside of the yard and woods near our home. It was only a matter of time when my exploring led me to find Little Frankie's house. Everyone called him Little Frankie because he was short and bent from a lifetime of hard work. Our only other neighbor at the time too was a much bigger man also named Frank. Little Frankie's house was a slowly crumbling structure that was over 100 years old. He lived in the only three rooms that were still safe. Although he had money from a lifetime of working and saving, he preferred to live there. His house had no electricity or running water. He cooked his meals and heated his home with an old cast iron stove. Got his water from a mountain spring that ran next to his house. He still worked every day, weeding, gardening, cooking, and cleaning. For some reason, though, we became fast friends. A first-generation Italian immigrant, Frankie didn't speak English very well, but I understood him well enough. He'd fry potatoes in a cast-iron skillet on his stove, and then he'd share them with me. He'd talk and show me old photos from years and years gone by. He became my godfather and best friend in those earliest years of my life. There was a peacefulness and serenity about him that seemed out of place then and even more out of place now. He worked hard, worried little, gave freely, smiled easily, laughed gently, and loved kindly. I'm still working today at living as beautifully as he did back then. Our friendship boy short-lived because he died when I was still a little boy. It was my first experience with death, and I mourned little Frankie after he was gone. Yet a part of him still lives on here in my heart and mind. I'm a better person because of the brief time that we spent together. I'm kinder, more loving, and closer to God because of our friendship. My friend Frankie showed me how to live simply, happily, and well. And I thank God for letting him touch my life. I think we, too, all have those special teachers in how to live and love, who touch our lives briefly, but stay in our hearts forever. May we always love them, cherish them, and embrace what they teach. From Philippians 4, 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard
1: your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Powerful reminder, as always. Thanks so much, Uh, Glenn. That'll do it for this Thursday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverens, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Friday on the next Morning Air. Patrick Madrid is straight ahead.